Okay, there are many. Read it again, please. There, there are, many. are many worthy rabbis and worthy rabbis and adult educators, but some profess expertise while being wholly unqualified. In the words mm -hmm. of our sages, they are unworthy of instruction, yet instruct. What is this about? The month of Elul has begun, and rabbis have started preparing their sermons for the high holidays, Shabbos, Shlichos, and so on, after they've returned from their summer vacation. Some are under the impression that sermons in the month of Elul and during the high holidays need to be full of anger. Following the mold of the verse, can one hear the chauffeur's call and not tremble? In fact, these days are called days of awe. So they assume the style of education must be fire and brimstone. You know, there is the rabbis, I'm sure, I'm sure a rab, he remembers in his childhood this type of rabbis who were uh, fire and brimstone. And it's like a famous line that in the, the rabbis and the Iola, they skim on the crowd, why they don't come earlier. They finally come, when you skimming at them, or they, 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 that's the only time when he's going to skim at them and they're not around. It's scaring them without all. <laughs> Go ahead. He thinks that the angrier of the sermon, the better the educator. In his perception, willingness to anger your listeners shows you selfless devotion to education. For the sake of heaven, you are willing to tell off another person. The angrier it is, the more pleased he is with his performance. He is a true orator. He knows how to tell another person off. <laughs> but first and foremost, states a basic rule. The words of the wise are accepted when spoken gently. We can also infer the opposite. If you don't speak gently, your words will not be accepted, and sooner or later, you'll lose your following, whether immediately, the next day, or sometime later. Nobody will follow your guidance. Even okay. if you are not wise, there's... The point is, Rebbe says, this is not something that inspires people. Continue, even... Even if you are not wise, there is no need to yell from the pulpit that when Torah equates wisdom with gentleness, it is not referring to you. But moreover, every honest person is aware of his own spiritual lacking. So how can you stand before an entire community and belittle them with such shocking declarations, heaven forbid? Well, the Rebbe is saying like this. First of all, when you speak harsh to people, eventually you're going to lose your congregation. It's just not good from a business point of view. Number two, he says, um, a smart person, the Talmud says, the words of a wise man are accepted when spoken gently. I think there's an American expression about it. If you want to make your point, speaking loud, there is something about. Remember? You can definitely be carry a big stick. No, 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 no. No, there is. Tell them with kindness. No, there is about if you speak loud. It doesn't mean that you are right. Something like this, there is an expression. Don't know. Guys, you're Americans. What's going on here? <laughs> Barry, you don't know this expression? I think it's one of the presidents. Said, somebody said it, that uh, it, you, uh, speaking loud don't enforce your, 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 your point. doesn't prove that you, you're right. Something like this. I forgot already. I have to think about it. Okay, you better think about it now. That's your own book. And lately, <laughs> lastly, the Rebbe says, you are skimming another Jews, are you really better than them? Are you really more righteous than them? Everybody knows to himself how unrighteous he is. If you're not sure about that, ask your wife, she'll tell you. But there's a person who knows you better than anybody, not your wife. 
then 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 who are you to get up and yell on people and belittle them and tell them that they are sinners and they are bad and they get they deserve punishment and they should do better? What kind of a language is that? It was a very common language among Orthodox rabbis and in, 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 in many communities. And it's still common today in some communities, but less. And the Rebbe brings examples from the prophet Isaiah that he tried to do something like this, not even like this, something even remote compared to this, and God, uh, he was punished by God. Um, Steve, you want to read the source number one, please? Uh, thank you. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high exalted throne and its legs filled the temple. And I said, He, he, he saw God, who is he? It means Isaiah, saw the revelation of God. Isaiah was the prophet who told us about the redemptions. He told us about the temple, the coming temple. He gave good news before the bad news were coming to the prophet Jeremiah who came after him about the destruction of the temple. Then uh, here he says, uh, he, he, he says he saw God, and then and, and, God, said, and God is basically sure. telling him, he knew that God tells him, God wants him to be a prophet. And that's what he said. Sure, and yeah. I said, And I said, woe is me, for I am doomed, for I am a man of impure lips, and I dwell among the people of impure lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. One of the angels flew to me holding a glowing coal, he had taken it from the altar with tongs. He touched it to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity shall be removed and your sin shall be atoned for. See what, that, what happened there? He said, Oy vey, I'm, I, who am I to see, to, to see God? I'm doomed. For I am a man with, of impure lips. It means I don't say only true things. I'm not so holy. And number two, not only this, I'm I'm uh, I am in among a people, a nation, with impure lips. I dwell among a people of impure lips. The people who are with me are also not so holy. That's what he said. He said that I am impure, and the Jewish people, the people of Israel, that I'm among them are also impure. Right away, one of the seraphim. An angel flew to him. It's only the prophecy. He says a vision, and took from the from the temple, from the altar. He took a what he took them a coal, a coal, and he touched his tongue, his his, his uh, lips, and he got a burn on his lips, a physical burn. In the middle of a prophecy, and he told them, "This will be." an atonement and for, for your sin. Read the next one, behold. Behold, this has touched. His point was the burn of the coal was a punishment and it absolved Isaiah of his sin. Our sages explained that Isaiah sinned by calling the Jews a people of impure lips. It was not an appropriate thing to say about Israel. God, had to, God punished them on the spot. He, bur he, he was his beliefs burned. Why? Why the lips? Because God wanted to eat them. What is his sin? You see, God gives us there is something in Judaism. It's called measure for measure. Very important to understand it. 
what is measure for measure? If I if I'm eating something that's not kosher, I can get a stomachache. If I'm a, a why God is doing it? That God wants to tell me to hint me what I'm doing wrong. How I know what I'm doing wrong? God tells me that, that you, you, He wants me to correct my behavior. That He sends me a message. It's not a punishment. It's a message. That the closer the message is to the point where it was the wrong thing, then then you, then you, you know you, you uh, there is they used to tell us as kids. Or you, if you look to the in the wrong places, you get you get an infection in your eyes. It means to say God is trying to send you. If you if your car brake broke down, maybe you didn't want to take your mother to the doctor. God is sending you the messages and things that they can hint you where you do wrong and you should correct it. If not, you don't know what to correct. Let's say God gives you uh, something in your toenail that's about your head. And I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know why my toenail is hurting me. God gives you something that is a connection that can hint you what you need to correct. That's what it's, it's all about. Then he, he says here, because he said something, I'm a, I, I live among a people that have impure lips. He got a burn on his lips that he knew that he said what he said was wrong. And this is in general, the Rebbe once said that the concept of measure for measure, midak and negative midak continues even today. And it's, and the Rebbe even applied it to himself quite a few times. The, he said, oh, he said this, that's why it happened to him this, and things like this. That when a person is doing, uh, you know, you say, say something wrong about another person, the same thing happened to you, and so on and on. A person should look, when he sees something wrong happens to him, he should ask himself, what is the message? What God wanted to tell me? What I need to correct? Now, to tell it to other people you don't know. <laughs> oh, you know why it happened to you? Because of this. That's easy to tell it to others. You don't know what other person's relationship with God is. The only thing you can apply it is to yourself. That's what happened to, to, to Isaiah. Here he brings a story from Noah. Noah, when Noah went to the, to, the, to the ark, many animals went with him, right? From every kind of animal, from the kosher animal was seven, time, seven from the non-kosher were two. Let's read how the Torah describes it. Uh, Michael, you want to read? Source number two. Yeah, thank you. No, along with all his sons, his wife and his son's wives came into the ark ahead of the waters of the flood. The pure animals, the animals which were not pure, the birds and all the walk of the earth came two by two to Noah to the ark. Looks a very normal piece on the Bible. It says the pure animals came, the non-pure animals, right? Beautiful. Now continue to the next source on the town. Rabbi Joshua Ben Levi said, a person should never speak crudely. The Torah added eight letters to avoid speaking crud crudely. Instead of saying Hatmea, the impure animals, the verse states, Asher Enenu Tehora, those which are not pure. Okay, first of all, what's crudely? Gruff, gruff, you know, like, the like, like, bad, like not, bad. not respectful, not dignified. Yes, 
then the, what you learn, here is something that only in Hebrew, if you learn Hebrew, you understand it. That in Hebrew, when you're talking about impure animal, there is a name for it, Tameh. Tameh means not impure. It's like to say the bad. There is the good animal and the bad animal. The Torah, instead of saying the bad animal, the Torah said, and the non-good animal. You understand? The Torah chose an expression, instead of saying the good and the bad, the good animals came seven, the bad animals came two. The Torah says the good animals came two, and the non-good animals came, bad, came seven. Why the Torah says, instead of saying the bad animals, why the Torah chooses, and the non-good animals, the non-kosh, the non-pure animals, to tell us, to teach us something. Never say the bad word, never say bad. Say there is not good. And I spoke about that many, many times. The Rebbe was the master of this. The Rebbe never said somebody is, somebody died, he's not alive. Nobody is sick in the Rebbe's book. He's not healthy. It's not dirty here. It's not clean. It's not, no, the place is not dirty. The place is not clean. He never took out from his mouth um, a crudely word, if you want. He always looked for the nicer way to say it. And the more I hear from uh, tapes and, and, and from the Rebbe, you see how it twisted, goes around and around, not to say anything anything impure. He want, there, is, there is a gesture, the tape, the Rebbe, there is, there is a saying in the Talmud that says, then, then uh, you know what a mamzer is? Yeah. Not a mamzer. What is a mamzer? Hello, Tim. What time oh, are you going over? Uh, what a, a mamzer is... Okay, so... A mamzer, what's a mamzer? It's a person who was born from an affair from a, yeah, from a, a married woman. Who, woman the married woman, the woman, married married woman who had hoopa and, yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a Jewish man. Yeah, that a mamzer in Jewish law, from a point of genealogy, is at the lowest level. You cannot marry a regular person. It's very complicated. And it also became because of that a derogatory word. But that's a different song. Then the Talmud says a very interesting line. If the mamzer is a scholar and the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, is an ignoramus, the mamzer comes before him. You have to honor him before that. The, the Rebbe quoted this line for whatever discussion he had, that he didn't say the mamzer. He said, the one is on the lowest level of genealogy in Judaism. He comes before the, the, Kohen, the Kohen Gadol. He, he went in a whole sentence to describe him, just not to say the word mamzer, not to say the regulatory word. What I mean to say is, then here with the Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, from where it's all coming, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi learns this from the verse in the Bible about Noah. Then when the Torah describes the non-kosher animal, the bad animals who came, who came to, the, to the ark, it doesn't say the bad animals. They say the non-good animals. It don't say the tame animals. We say asher enenu teora, who are not pure. In English, there is no word to the word tame. That's what's hard to, to explain it. Then from there we learn, then you have to, you have to try always to look for the better word. You can say what you need to say, but you have to look for the better description. Rabbi, now, but a yes. question right away comes to my mind, at least. Sure. When uh, you're talking about something 
minor something descriptive when he can use this kind of say uh, not well, not good. But what if he's talking about something really big, something uh, like he's describing uh, Shaw or Holocaust? Is he going to use the word not good or he will use the word evil? Or did he? Okay, we will, we will read one more paragraph. You have a point. We will see when we use it and when we don't use it. Okay. Um, we'll give Olga to read it. Uh, one second. Uh, no, not, um, yeah, one second. One second. Is this, yeah, it, we'll, see, we'll find what you say. We'll discuss it. Go ahead, Olga. The Torah relates that when God commanded Isaiah to serve as a prophet to the people of Israel, Isaiah in his response made a derogatory comment about the Jewish people. I dwell among a people of impure lips. And he was immediately punished for his statement. One of the angels flew <clears throat> to me holding a glowing coal. He had taken it from the altar with tongues. Mm -hmm. His derogatory uh, statement was not declared publicly. God forbid uh, nor was it meant to shame anyone. Isaiah was in the midst of a, pr a private dialogue with God, and he needed to respond to God's request that he uh, fulfill a specific mission to serve as God's prophet to the Jewish people. Certainly, he needed to tell God the truth. After all, God is uh, the God of truth. And the truth was uh, that he was afraid of the mission because I dwell among the people of impure lips. Uh, certainly God himself who sees directly into the heart was also aware of the spiritual state of the Jewish people in fact in the same conversation God critiques the Jewish people this uh, people's heart is becoming fat and yet Isaiah was punished for expressing himself in a neglected way about the Jewish people negative the way about Jewish people the rabbi says something very interesting Isaiah said that between him and God, he didn't make it public. There is a big difference if you make something public or, 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 you, or you do it private between you and God. For example, there is an old discussion about Moses. You know, when Moses eat the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, he was punished, he couldn't enter the land of Israel. Then the Rashi writes there, the Talmud is talking about it. There was another story that Moses doubted the power of God. And then when God told them, we'll give them meat, they want meat, they'll give them meat as much as they want. That Moses says, even if you slaughter them all the meat that we have, will never be enough for these people. Moses, to a point, was doubting the king. God cannot give them, God told them what, I cannot give them enough, he cannot provide them with enough meat. Then the Talmud is asking, why when he doubted God in the first story, in Parshat Baalotcha, when, when God told them, give them meat, you'll give them meat as much as they want, Moses said, you'll never be enough for them. God didn't punish him. And when he hit the rock, God did, did punish him. Then the Talmud answered, that was a private conversation about the meat, and here it was in public. When you doubt God in public, you get punished. When you doubt God in private, that's between him and God. Nobody heard it. That's why he wasn't punished in the first story. Here, the story with Isaiah is a story that he did it in private. God wanted them to become the prophet of the Jewish people. Isaiah is basically saying who I'm going to, who I'm going to talk to. This is uh, impure people, they are to troublemakers. I'm never going to be successful. I basically don't want to be a prophet. And God really ignored it as the truth. In the same conversation, God says to him, the people are going to become, become fat. 
still God punished them. God didn't like that he speaks bad about the Jewish people. Why? Because that's not the job of the prophet, the job of a Jew, the job of a rabbi, the job of a leader, the job of every one of us is to find the good things about the Jewish people. The bad thing, everybody can, 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 can do it. We will also find a story, a similar story, that somebody was speaking bad about the Jewish people, and he got a special mission to do something because of this. Bilaam. Who? Bilaam. Bilaam. Bilaam actually started off, started off to curse and he was to change. No, no, he, no, no, he wanted to curse. He actually came out from him, the nicest, beautiful blessings right. uh, of the Jewish people. No, that he actually, uh, God forced him to say only good things. He wanted to say bad, but no. Somebody else in the prophet that we all know of him, we all know his name, a famous prophet, that he said, he criticized the Jewish people and God told them, it's not true. And you're going to testify about it, that this is not true. It's gonna be Jeremiah. Not Jeremiah. Any other prophet who is very famous? It's Moses, Rabbi Zosha. Oh, Moses. And did he complain about Jews? He complained, yeah, he complained this yesterday. We read that he said to he said to God, they're going to stone me. God told them, You are you to speak bad about the Jewish people, they'll stone you. I want to see if they stone you. Actually, the whole story with Iraq happened because he because he doubted the Jewish people because he said they were not good enough. That was a punishment to him for this. But that's a different story. There is a story about the prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah, when he was alive, it's a whole story, we're not going to the length. He came once to Mount Sinai and God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah told him, God, there is the Jewish people that I run away from the Jewish people. They have forsaken your covenant and they killed all the prophets and they want to kill me. Forsaking the covenant, he meant they stopped to observe the myths of Brit Milah. Fine. He said these complaints, God heard them. Then God asked him, he heard a, a sound and a wind. It's all story there. And God asked him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, you know, when God asks you, ask you the same question again, it's not because he didn't hear well. If he's asking you the same question again, it means that you said something wrong. Look for a different answer. Give you another, a second opportunity. And he repeated the same thing. Your people have forsaken your covenant and so on. And God told them, my people didn't forsake the covenant. They observed the Brit Milah. And for this, your mission after he died, the mission from Elijah is to come to every breeze, to be present in every breeze, and to testify that the Jewish people are observing the mitzvah circumcision of covenant. And that's why by every breeze, there is a special chair designated for Elijah the prophet. And during Pesach for the cup. The Pesach of the cup is a separate song, but that's not because he, 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 he complained. Because he complained that the Jewish people have forsaken the covenant, in every breeze we have a special chair for Elijah, and we, before the breeze, a minute before the breeze, we put the baby on the chair of Elijah, and then we pick him up and put him on the, on the laps of the Sunday, whoever the Sunday is. Why, why, we, why is uh, Elijah is to fly from breeze to breeze, he has to be busy every whole day and a whole night, there's an angel to go everywhere? Because he said bad things and the Jewish people were taking the breeze. Then from C to C, you never say, the every point to point out, then you should never, a rabbi, a leader, a Jew, a human being, 
never say bad things about other, pe other people. Furthermore, um, when do you want to continue? Furthermore, the Torah is careful to use positive language whenever the subject matter does not have implications in Jewish law. For example, the Torah says that animals which were not pure entered Noah's Ark. This describes an event which took place before the Torah was given and the description is not relevant to the laws of kosher food. However, when the subject matter has practical implications to teach the reader what is kosher and what is not, the Torah uses more direct language, separate between the Temei impure and the pure animals. Okay, Michael, that's for you. Whenever that's to, it's up something gets to do with action now, you cannot speak nice word to your children. You tell them, guys, you don't drink alcohol. You don't take dogs. You don't tell them, guys, I think you should not take, you know, the thing that people are saying that it's not good for you. This kind of thing's business doesn't work. When you're speaking, when you have to give directions, what is right and what is wrong, the Torah is using the word tameh. Good and bad, no chachmas. But when the Torah tells a story, and it's not relevant that it's supposed to give direction to somebody, in such cases, in such cases, you should use, you should choose the better language. Then what you say, um, um, Michael, you're right. When you have to be something very specific, when the Rebbe spoke about, about the Holocaust, he sometimes even said the, the curse that they, be, may, may, they should be erased from the face of the earth, their memory should be erased from the face of the earth, things that the Rebbe never said such words on anything in anyone. But yeah, we're talking about the Holocaust, or even more, when you need to say to somebody, this is wrong, you have to tell them, this is wrong, this is bad, this is terrible. And the Rebbe used this language. But when you tell a story, try always to use the better language. And you can tell your children in a nicer word and you think that they'll be good enough, yes. But then you, when you see that you need to lay down the law and make it clear behind the shadow of the doubt, then you have to be very clear and very specific. Very, it was a very good point, actually. In our case, continue. In our case, Isaiah's description of the Jewish people had very practical implications. He was telling God that he cannot serve as their prophet specifically because they were a nation of impure lips. Nonetheless, his description was inappropriate. One should never speak of God's people in that manner, even though he merely criticized their lips for being impure, making no comment about their minds and hearts, even though his comment was made in a private conversation which had real life consequences. Since this story was- Okay, shared, let's stop right here. The Rebbe says, Isaiah was not speaking about a story. He wants to tell God why he doesn't feel he's, 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 a, he's the right person to be the prophet. He tells God they are impure people. It's not going to work. Still, and it was a private conversation. Still, God didn't want to tolerate that. Don't speak bad about my kids. Nobody likes to hear criticism about his children. No matter how honest you are, no matter how much you, you want to shoot, when the teacher calls you and tells you, you know, your kid is not doing well, is not doing right, nobody likes to hear it. Even when it's true. My kid, impossible. My kid. And even when you know it's true, and even when you take action, when he tells you that, it makes you angry. It's like it's hurting you. God says, 
the job of the prophets is to defend the Jewish people, to stand up for the Jewish people. That's what Moses was doing all the time. God, there is a description that in the Medrash that God tells to Moses, when I will be angry with you, you defend them. When you will be angry with them, I will defend them. It's like a couple. Then when the father is angry with the children, the mother defends them. If the mother is angry with the children, the father will defend them. They need somewhere to go. If both of them gang up on the child, what's going to be there? That's our parent. That's, God is like the father of the Jewish people. You come and tell them, my kids are bad. For this, I have six o'clock news. I need you to find, to, find, to find problems in the Jewish people. You know, it's like I remember Elie Wiesel was in the 80s or in the, in the 90s. It was everybody was criticizing Israel. It was at the Indifadas and all of this. Then asked Elie Wiesel, why don't say anything? He says, I'm not criticizing my people. Very easy to criticize the Jewish people, Israel. It's you. So what do you mean you're criticizing him? It's your people. Who are you criticizing exactly? You're criticizing yourself? You don't criticize yourself, right? When you criticize somebody else, it means it's not you. Who are you criticizing? It's yours. It's like people say, oh, the way this is happening, this. who is they? Who is they? It's you. You want to go make a liar, fix it. What do you want? Go start your, fix yourself, fix your people around you. It's kind of Isaiah said, they're impure people. Go make them, make them pure people while you're criticizing. Do it. Continue. Um, wait one second, let's see. If it's, uh, yeah, finish this paragraph. Since this story was shared in Torah, it obviously contains an eternal lesson because the Torah will never be replaced. Its message remains in effect every place and time. Yeah. What's the lesson? Okay, uh, Barry, you want to read? The lesson is clear. Most people occasionally feel an urge to criticize someone. They might assume that the critique is well-intentioned and that it comes from a place of love and concern for the person's spiritual and moral well-being out of an abundance of Ahava Israel love for your fellow, you want to criticize him. I do it for him. I do it for him. I don't do it for myself. I want to correct him to make him into a better person. Go ahead. This story teaches us there was no greater lover of Israel than the prophet Isaiah. His name is often compared to his counterpart, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's Hebrew name, Yirmeyehu, contains the word mar, which means bitter. Isaiah's Hebrew name, Yeseyah, means salvation. Indeed, Jeremiah prophesied bitter and unfortunate events like the destruction of the temple, while Isaiah was a prophet, prophet of comfort who prophesied salvation. Nonetheless, he suffered immediate consequences for expressing himself negatively about the Jewish nation, even though he did so in a private setting, as we explained above at length. You see, the difference in Jeremiah and Isaiah. Irmiao, the word in the, in the word Irmiao, there's the word Mar, like the name Miriam, we learned Shabbos in the Torah, we read Miriam's uh, Moses' sister. Her name is Mar, means bitter, because Miriam was born in the bitterest time of the Jewish people. 
ירמיהו comes from the word builder, Isaiah comes from the word Yeshua, Yeshua means salvation. Then you should bring salvation to the Jewish people. He was, he, he was a lover of the Jewish people. He said the most beautiful prophecies of the Jewish people, the kindest prophecies. Many of the aftoras, of comforting aftoras we read on Shabbat in the synagogue is on the book of Isaiah. Still, he said once, the first time he criticized the Jewish people, God rather gave him a, 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 a burn in his in lips because it was in the beginning of his prophecy, God told him, this is not working. This is not going to fly. You have, you have to find only good things about the Jewish people. When you have to criticize the Jews, when you're at something that practical, you have to tell them what you think, that's go ahead, do it. But just to say bad things about the Jewish people, that's not acceptable. And it's interesting to note the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah delivered the most harsh prophecies on the Jewish people. Really terrible prophecies. So it's going to be destruction, it's going to be bad things. But the first prophecy of the prophet Jeremiah when he spoke to the Jewish people was the most beautiful prophecy. Something that we read in many of Torahs, we say it in the prayers of the high holidays. He says, I, God says in the name of God, I remember to you the days that when you came out from Egypt, that you, God says, I will never forget. I will always remember that you had faith in me. The Jewish people had faith in God. When they left Egypt, then God told them, let's go to the desert. They didn't ask, where are we going to eat? They didn't ask where we're going to take medication for the elders. They didn't ask where we're going to take baby food for the babies. They went to the desert without they had the complete faith to go with God to the desert. Then the first prophecy of the prophet Jeremiah, maybe he learned from Isaiah not to do it. He came after Isaiah. He started with the most comforting, most beautiful prophecy that ever came out from a prophet's mouth. He says, I'll remember to you the, as Jeremiah compares it to a marriage. You know, when a husband tells his wife, he lives, I know, no, let's say in America, and he hears that in Australia, in New Zealand, there is a way to make a lot of money. And he tells to his young bride, come with me, we'll go to New Zealand and we'll make money there. And she leaves her family, he leaves her only comfort, and she goes after him to this loch in the world, and they start to dig, and for years and years, it's sores, and eventually they're successful. That one day when that's a 50th wedding anniversary, he turns to his wife and he tells her, you know, I will never forget the kindness that you did to me, that you trusted me, the love of your marriage, that you went after me in a desert, in a land that's not uh, sold, and you had trust, you had faith in me. Actually, then that's what Jeremiah said in the name of God, that God tells to the Jewish people, no matter how bad you are, I will never forget the trust that you had in me when you left Egypt. You went to a desert. It's interesting to note that Menachem Begin, when he became the prime minister of Israel, when he was elected after so many years of uh, being in the opposition and being in the, in the Etzel, he was fighting in the uh, underground uh, movement against, when they, against the British when, he was, when it was before the, land, the state of Israel. When he, then right by his first speech, when he won the election, he turned to his wife, and he quoted this, this, this verse in the Bible. He, he thanked him for going after him, believing in him for so many years in a land was full of um, landmines. That's how he said it. In a land that was full of landmines, because literally it was landmines. Then this is what you learn from this story. Now, 
Um, Oleg, you want to continue? Um, yeah. yeah. Barry, you read? Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. Isaiah uh, teaches us a lesson. But why did Isaiah express himself that way if he was indeed the great lover of Israel who was chosen to be the, the prophet of redemption? Our sages said of King David, the sin was out of character for him, but they explain. It provided an opening for penitence and established the power of, replace, of repentance. This is a similar case. Isaiah did an act of self-sacrifice and gave later generation the ability to correct such behavior. Okay, let's read one more paragraph to understand what, what he says here. Here's the Talmudic story. Go ahead. Rabbi Yahushua ben Levi says, the Jewish people made the golden calf only to give a claim to penitence, as the verse states about their spiritual state at Mount Sinai. If only their hearts would always remain this way, where they are in such a awe of me. Clearly, the golden calf was out of character. Okay, As, the Talmud says something very interesting. You know, we have this question forever. Golden calf, how could such a thing happen? 40 days after God gave the Jewish people the Torah, after God revealed himself at Mount Sinai to the whole nation, 40 days later, they made a golden cave, they worshiped an idol, they denied God. It doesn't make sense. No matter how many explanations you're going to give, every year I learned that again, as older I get, the more I know that the whole story, it just doesn't make sense. The same thing, the same question is, is about King David, the story with Bathsheba. He saw a girl on the roof and he wanted, he sent the husband to the war and he died and he took his wife. What is going on here, King David? who wrote the whole book of Psalms. King David, who was a king, he could have as many women as he wanted, he could have whatever he wanted. It was another democracy at that time. He had to find the whole story does make sense. He was on the roof at that time, she was, she was, she was bathing on the roof and the, and the cover fall off and this, what is this? Must be that there is something there. God, did, God allowed it to happen because of a reason. Continue. As Rabbi Yochanan, yeah, as Rabbi Yochanan's sons, um, says in the name of Rabbi the incident that Beersheba was out of character for David, and the incident of a golden calf was out of character for the Jewish people. It was out of character for David, as it is written, My heart is empty with me. He had vanquished the evil inclination and it was out of character for the Jewish people. As it is written, if only their hearts would always remain this way, there are in such an awe of me. Then here it says, we know David couldn't do such a, it doesn't make sense for David. David said that his heart is empty from his evil inclination. He killed it with fasting. He was, he was so holy. And that how such a thing can happen? Or to the Jewish people that right after Mount Sinai, God said, God testifies about them. If only their heart would, would always remain this way, where they are in such awe of me. Right after Mount Sinai, God said, I wish they will always be like this. That means they were in awe. How such a thing could happen? Rather, Rather why did they perform these deeds? 
so that even uh, indiv individual sins, we are uh, we say to him, learn from the individual, David who sinned, you too can repent, and if a, a community sins, we, or we say to them, learn from communities, the juice of the golden calf, your community can repent as well. Okay. See what he says here? Mm -hmm. God wanted to establish the concept of repentance. You know, today a politician is caught with a with a woman with something, it's destroyed. Forget about if he did what they, this kind of thing. If he said somebody a bad thing, they cut them off on Facebook and from this, and they and they and they don't the, the, the boycott his business, the world is coming to an end. They don't give anybody a chance to repent. Some people make mistakes. God wanted to teach us that there is repentance. There is a way back. People can do, can do mistakes and go back. And don't destroy them forever. There's no, there is somebody is doomed. Then God says, I allow the story of King David happen to show that even King David who did such a terrible thing. He had a way back. He repented and God accepted him back. What could be worse for the Jewish people than making a golden calf 40 days after after the, the, the Mount Sinai. And if a community will come and do something bad, they will say, we are doomed. God will never forgive us. God tells them, here is the story of the golden calf. And they did tshuva and they were forgiven. To pave the way of repenting for everyone, to teach the world that it's never too late. Finish this paragraph, as Rabbi, as Rabbi Shmuel uh, Nachmani says in the, in the name of Rabbi Yanatan, what is the meaning of the verse? The saying of David ben uh, Yesha and saying of the, man, of the man raised on high. This is the meaning of the verse. The saying of David ben Yesha who raised the yoke uh, for repentance as he taught the power of repentance through, through his own example. Exactly. King David paved the way for tshuva. He taught us what means to do tshuva. You know, there is a famous story. And I mentioned that before. And the same, what, what, uh, what, what he wants to say, then the, what he really wants to say that the same thing, why it happened to Isaiah, to teach us that if you're Isaiah, you make a mistake, you can do tshuva. The whole idea, the Torah is not here to criticize us. The Torah is not here to get us in trouble. The Torah is not here to tell us that we are doomed. Just the opposite. I can do something wrong, the world doesn't come to an end. I can do tshuva. You've heard of the word apologizing. That's what it's all about. Some people have a hard time to apologize. Some people, China, I did wrong, yes, fine, I apologize. That's okay. I can, I can make a mistake. I'm not God. But it, 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 yeah. they didn't do it. They didn't do it just to create a, a precedent saying, okay, we're making a mistake. So everybody knows that if you make a mistake, you, they just it couldn't just, just make a mistake. Good, 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 good. A very important point. They did not do it for showing, showing everybody how to make a mistake. Yes. They did it because they want to worship idols. King David wanted to do it because he wanted to do it in Bathsheba. Yes. But the question is why God, you know, when the Talmud says, there is a Talmudic statement that says that a person would never be able to withstand his inclinations, his urges. 
if not, if Hashem helps them. At least men understand this thing. That there is such urges that sometimes you cannot survive them. But Hashem is, so to speak, helping you to overcome it. God, God if you want to, turn the eat a little too strong in the story of the golden calf and the story of Becheva. You know, you ask yourself, what is this idea of golden calf, worshiping idols? Today it looks stupid, right? But then you, when it becomes popular, that everybody gets so excited about that, they do it. And the question is why God didn't help them to, to survive that. Not that they didn't do it. You understand what I'm saying? They didn't choose to worship golden calf to show the way of tshuva. The question is why it happened. Why God didn't, didn't give them an obstacle before that? Why Moses didn't show up a minute earlier and he stopped the worshiping of the golden calf? You understand? That's a question. That you know the golden calf, the story of the golden calf, they took a piece of gold, throw it into the, into the, into the fire, and it came out a golden calf. It was kind of a miracle. Why God allowed it? That's a question. And God allowed it to happen because he wanted to teach later that people can do tshuva. It's not that the Jews chose to worship idols because they should be able to teach the world tshuva. It's not that King David chose to sing with Bathsheba because he wanted the people to, do, to learn how to do tshuva. It happened because of this. You understand what I'm saying? It's a big difference. It's a, and it's like today, you know, it's, I mean, the people are not, well, not going to it. There is a story about that's better to speak about about um, the, um, Elisha ben Abuya with a very famous Talmudic scholar, and he became an heretic. He denied Judaism. There is a book in English about him, a, a, a novel. What's the name of the novel? A Fleet of a Leaf something, I forgot the name. Don't, don't know the novel? It's an old novel. Guys, you don't read? I go do your own work. It's about the story of Elisha ben Avoya. In any case, it's a fleeting of something, of a, of a leaf, of a, like a fleeting of a leaf, something like this. The story is, he became, he became a narrative because he saw tragedies to the Jewish people that they didn't make sense to him. He couldn't live it himself. Then what happened is, once, well, there was one, one of his disciples continued to have a relationship with him, even after he became an heretic and denied God and denied Judaism. One of his students, Rabbi Meir, continued to have a relationship with him. Then the story goes that once Rabbi Meir was giving a speech in a synagogue in Tiberia, and somebody came in and told him, your former Rabbi, Elisha, is outside on a horse. It was on Shabbat. You're not allowed to write a horse on Shabbat. Rabbi Meir interrupted his lecture, went out, and started to talk to, talk to him. And they start to walk. He asked him, no, tell me about your speech. What was your speech? He told them his speech. Elisha was an unbelievable scholar. He told them, you Rabbi Rabbi, I think was, he told them, you Rabbi Rabbi Akiva told it, said it differently. You don't know what you're talking about, basically. He corrected them on his speech. And he thought that he was teaching. Then they came out, you know, you are not allowed. And Shabbat, you can only walk out from the city 3,000 feet, 2,000 uh, um, um, I, yeah, um, I think it's 2,000 uh, 2000 2,000 cubits, it's 3,000 feet. And he walks with his rabbi, with his former rabbi, Elisha is on the horse, Rabbi Meir walks next to him, and they're taking a walk. 
It comes to a point, Elisha told him, I counted exactly the foot. You're not allowed to continue. You have to go back. He told them, Rabbi, he turned to Rabbi Meir, he told Rabbi Meir, return back. Go back home, because you're not allowed to walk anymore. He turned back, he, turned, he utilized the opportunity, Rabbi Meir. He turned to his former Rabbi Elisha and told him, Rabbi, maybe you turn back, you, you come back. You come back, not in the physical sense, go back to the city, come back to Judaism. That he told them something amazing. He told them, once I was writing my oath on Yom Kippur, that happens to be on Shabbat, and I, I was writing my oath on the Holy Temple, on Temple Mount, where it used to be the, the Holy of Holies. And I heard the voice from heaven comes out. He was able to hear a voice from heaven. Return my children. Beside from Acher, Acher was the nickname for Elisha ben Abuya. In the Jewish, in the Jewish communities, they called Elisha, they didn't even want him to his, wanted to mention his name. They called him the other, Acher. That you hear the voice from heaven that says, everybody can leave, can come back. Beside him, beside Acher. Acher cannot come back. And he said, what's the point? You're telling me I should to, to come back? God said that I'm doomed. He will not accept me. Now you remember once the Rebbe spoke about it. And the Rebbe said, mentioned the story, and the Rebbe said like this, even after Acher, hear the voice from heaven, he had to go and return back to God. He had to do tshuva, he had to repent. Because when you knock on the door, you break the door, you'll eventually go in. If you insist to do tshuva, God will not help you to repent. But if you repent, if you come back to God, nobody is left out. God will always take people back, no matter who they are, no matter how bad they are. Even that they hear from God himself that they are not welcome, they will be welcomed. They will eventually be welcomed. A parent will never deny his children, no matter what they did. Um, um, Rob, you want to continue? The people of Israel were worthy that God should shield them from such a great sin. Although God does not influence our decisions in matters of fear of heaven, nonetheless, God directs a person in the direction he wants to go. Furthermore, Torah study protects us from sin. David deserved to be protected from sin for the same reason. The Talmud points this out by citing the verse, if only their hearts would always remain this way, to point out that they wanted to fear God, David too, my heart is empty within me, indicating that he wanted to do the will of his father in heaven. They were worthy of being protected from these sins. Why were they ultimately not protected? So we can say to them, as explained. And explain that, they can, that there is a pet for children. Now we're going to learn about, then, uh, and that's also why, why Isaiah did it, to teach us to do children. Now there is another story. Um, uh, Steve, you want to continue? Yeah. Uh, Mishnah, Rabbi Eliezer says that we do not read the Haftarah of informed Jerusalem. Uh, what is he talking about? Continue. Uh, we learn in a Baraisa, there was one individual who stood above Rabbi Eliezer and read the Haftarah of informed Jerusalem of its abominations. Rabbi Eliezer said to him, before you scrutinize the abominations of Jerusalem, scrutinize the abominations of your mother. An investigation revealed that he was of questionable lineage. Here is what happened there. You know, we spoke last week about the Aftoras, that the rabbis choose different Aftoras for every week. 
but the, it was a time, in the time of Rabbi Eliezer, at the time, the Aftoras were not so designated. Now we have customs, you know, you open the Chumash, you read it. It was more a choice of people which Aftora to read. This man chose the Aftora that it's, in some communities it's being used still today. The Aftora speaks about with harsh words how the, about the, the abominations of the people in Jerusalem, basically about the Jewish people, that they are bad. Once Rabbi Eliezer the Great, very famous rabbi, we don't have any more time, I can tell you a lot about Rabbi Eliezer Agadot. He once was in a synagogue and heard this kind of, and he heard the guy who's reading, chose to read this Haftorah. He turns to him and he says, before you, be, you criticize Jerusalem about their abominations, go check your mother's abominations. They went and they checked and they was, it was questionable lineages. Basically, maybe his mother had an affair, whatever, something was not perfect. That's the story in the, in the town. Now we'll read. Um, Mike, you want to read uh, the, the, this paragraph from the Rebbe? Uh, the Talmud relates the following story. The final Mishnah in the tractate Megillah chapter 3 speaks about the specific details of various Haftorahs. It says there, Rabbi Lazar says that we do not read the Haftorah of informed Jerusalem. This refers to Ezekiel 16, which speaks negatively about Jerusalem. According to Rabbi Lazar, this segment was not to be read as Haftorah for Jerusalem honor, so as not to insult its inhabitants. Continue. The Talmud relates, there was one individual who stood above Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer apparently on the race platform of the synagogue and read Haftorah of informed Jerusalem of its abominations. Rabbi Eliezer said to him, before you scrutinize the abomination of Jerusalem, scrutinize the abominations of your mother. An investigation revealed that he was uh, of questionable lineage. Rabbi Eliezer was upset at him for choosing this Haftorah, even though Haftorah is a direct quote from prophets and not the individual's personal ideas. He felt that the choice to read the Haftorah implied a deeper problem with his education, which is why he told him to scrutinize his own origins, which were found to be lacking. This Mishnah, which tells us not to read the Haftorah, especially the story of Rabbi Eliezer, a powerful lesson about how careful we need to be protect the dignity of God's people. He says, what really happened there? He spoke about, it's not his Haftorah, he didn't choose it. It's, he didn't say the word, but because he chose such Haftorah, it says, it says about him who is. Um, Olga, you want to continue? Speak positively. Another important point, even when you speak <clears throat> gently, choose to speak about good and about reward instead of about evil and punishment. Why focus on the negative when you should fo could focus on the positive? Speak about reward of fulfilling mitzvot, the reward of repentance, and so on. The Torah is filled with descriptions of reward, both in the five books of Moses. If you follow my laws uh, and uh, safeguard my commandments, I will provide rain in its season, and even more so in the prophets, and even more so in the oral Torah. There is plenty of uplifting material of uh, speeches that will suffice for the a month of Elul, the high holidays, and the entire month of Tishrei. There is enough for all year round. You'll never run out of material. 
The Rebbe says, why are you speaking to the speaker, to the rabbi? Why are you need speaking negative? There is so much material, so much good stuff to say positive things about the Jewish people. Why don't you go to the negative side? Uh, when they continue. Don't focus on weakness. God forbid to mention a person's weak point, especially since you don't know what brought him to that situation. As the Mishnah rules, judge every person favorably and don't judge a person until you live through his experience. The Book of Ethics and Hasidim expound on this concept in detail, how much more so during a public speech. And most importantly, derogatory talk stems only from a lack of good character traits. It is totally ineffective. You will inspire people to improve themselves much faster if you speak in gentle and positive terms about the benefits and rewards of keeping the commandments, and you will automatically achieve your goal to keep them away from sin. Basically, continue. In simple terms, the best and most effective way to inspire others to improve themselves is by drawing attention to their potential. They can each achieve great spiritual heights to the extent that, as Maimonides says, through one good deed, you have the power to tip the scale for yourself and for the entire world to good. Basically, what the Rebbe is saying here, when you speak, it's an old topic, when you speak good about, to good about a person, you bring out the good of him. When I speak bad about him, I actually bring the bad out of him. Every person is good and bad. When you speak, when you concentrate on the good, you actually tell him, you tell, you tell him you did a good deed, do it more, but, but inspire him. Instead of saying, oh, this was bad, this was bad, this was bad. By speaking good, you only bring out good about the people. That's the story for today. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Rabbi. Thanks, Rabbi. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Have a good week. Be well. You too.